The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? And welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for the internet. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, hey, Vern. My hey, name. Hey. My, my name is Whitney Seibold, Vern. Hi, Vern. I'm, I'm a film critic, Vern. Vern. Vernon. Ver. Ver, ver, I don't know who Vernon is. Vernward. My name is Whitney Seibold, and uh, I am also a film critic, and I am the co-host of the very podcast you're listening to. That's right. And uh, here at Cancel <laughs> Too Soon, uh, we pride ourselves on discovering all kinds of television shows, good, bad, normal, weird, every genre. Uh, and uh, every once in a while, we come across something where we're just sort of just like, huh. And we're going to get one of those this week. Uh, what, uh, what, what the hell? What? So- the hell is that? Uh, and uh, we want to thank uh, uh, someone for for exposing us to this particular series. Uh, every year uh, at the end of April, we have the Cancelled Too Soon Awards on the anniversary mm-hmm. of the founding of the program. Uh, and everyone who votes for the category of best episode of the podcast gets their name put in a hat. And we drew winners. And the grand prize winner got to pick an episode of this show of their choice. Mm. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is this episode. So <laughs> we want to thank uh, R. Clay Johnson mm. for, 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 for getting us getting back our- into the world of 1980s Saturday morning television. Mm, which we were we're just in because of Barbie and the Rockers, but we're doing it again (laughs) in a very different mold. We could do it for the rest of the month if we wanted, but uh, we'll we'll see. Arkley Johnson's original pick was a show called Riders in the Sky from 1991, uh, which was a cowboy singing group uh, who were called the Riders in the Sky, and they had a very Pee Wee's Playhouse kind of program. And that program, near as I can tell, is almost entirely lost. There are like a few clips <laughs> online, but we, like it's gone. We, we looked around, we checked our sources, and we weren't able to, to scrounge it up. If you know anyone who has, preferably the complete version, but like has any episodes, full episodes, of Riders in the Sky, the Saturday morning live action singing cowboy show, uh, l- Tell the world, <laughs> let people know, because near as we can tell, it is lost. Mm. However, the backup was a similarly themed program. It also emerged in the wake of Pee Wee's Playhouse. It is a wacky variety show for eccentric kids, and it was hosted by the great Jim Varney in character as Ernest P. Worrell. Everyone knows Worrell. Worrell. I was giving Worrell. I was thinking of you. You will bow before me, Worrell. Um, <laughs> but everyone because, knows. Hey, Vern, I'm from Krypton. Everyone knows Ernest P. Worrell. Uh huh. 
from such films as Ernest Goes to Camp, Ernest Saves Christmas, Ernest Goes to Jail, uh, Ernest Scared Stupid. And if you were around in the 80s in particular, mm. you saw Jim Varney in every television commercial. I think his most high-profile um, product was Sprite. Yeah, I think that was a na- nationwide commercial, but the, he did local commercials too. He was a he was a denim clad, mm. uh, uh, blue collar blue collar yeah. southern dude uh, who was childlike and enthusiastic, mm. but accident prone e- and eager, foolish, eager to help, but eager yeah, to help, none, but none too bright, none too bright. Often uh, shot well, himself in the foot, and he was a character who was created mm. to basically fit into any commercial. He was an yeah he was an ad pitchman. Now Jim Varney is a classically trained actor. He's actually quite a good actor. Um, but he and John R. Cherry the uh, third sort of pioneered this Ernest type character together uh, under the aegis of an ad uh, company. And they this was the first time in history that this had ever been done that a character was invented to fit into ads before. They knew the they, product before they knew, knew what the product was. Yeah, like you, you obviously they had characters and ads, the Keebler elves, but like it's just like we're going to create a character and we can just have them advertise anything yeah. you want. Um, here and, and here they, locally, so, it was Cerritos Auto Square. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of those. Mm. And uh, the the uh, Jim Varney, like when he described it, I don't know how true this is. He said they did thousands of commercials. I would not be surprised. I know, I, I believe it. And you can yeah. look a lot of Ernest commercials up online, like YouTube. There's like hours and hours of yeah. just Ernest commercials. And uh, they had a few. Uh, uh, movies initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, the well, biggest there were one five was, that were released theatrically. Yes, the original uh, Ernest movie proper. Mm-hmm. There was a uh, uh, know what I mean. Hey Vern, it's my family album, which was like uh, from nineteen eighty three. That, that, that doesn't was a, count. That was a video. I think that yeah. was a, like a VHS only thing. But the proper movie was Doctor Otto and the Riddle of the Gloom Beam, which was another mm-hmm. character Jim Varney played. He was like an evil mad scientist mm-hmm. who was not really that evil. He was kind of amusingly but evil, he, like he a Dexter's wore, Lab He wore a evil. really big, gigantic, weird, like, cloak made of, like, knotted rope. It was just re- weird-looking thing. And they always, they always needed another actor on hand to be the hand who yeah. was, that was his hat. Yeah, he had like a hat. It's like, it's like or, Thing from the Addams Family. Mm-hmm. Like, remember that, remember that part in the movie where Thing was just, like, giving Gomez Adams, like, a head rub? A, a scalp massage? Like, yeah. that was permanently Dr. Otto's hat. And so, so there was another actor behind him at all times, sort of operating that hand. I never saw head. Dr. Otto. Is it any good? Uh, well, it, Ernest is in it, but he only plays a very small role. It's... This was uh, Jim Varney's shtick. He was kind of like following in the tradition of Jonathan Winters in a lot of ways, where he would just go from vignette to vignette, playing a different character in each one. Yeah. Um, It's nonsense. It's just, you know, there's no story. There's no structure. There there is sort of a plot, I guess. Mm. But yeah, it's it's just sort of craziness that kind of slips out of your mind. It's not really that funny. That was followed in 1987 with mm. Ernest Goes to Camp, which mm. was the first Ernest starring movie. It was a summer camp kids comedy. Ernest was the good-natured guy who works there. And, and he, he had to prevent- look after a bunch of, like, delinquent kids. Yeah. Like, it's outsider like, kids. It's, and like, it's to- like when Hagrid gets a job teaching at Hogwarts. Mm. It's just sort of like, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> he's he's well-intentioned, um, but he's not at... He shouldn't actually be doing this. 
I, I didn't see Ernest Goes to Camp in theaters, but I rented it incessantly when I was oh, yeah. a young child. Constantly. I watched it. I, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I watched it constantly when I was a kid. I've seen most of the other ones since. Uh, and then in 1988, mm-hmm. two months before the release of Ernest Saves Christmas, which I still think is the best Ernest movie. Uh, I'm fond of Ernest Goes to Jail. Fair enough. That's where it ends, by the way. There, <laughs> I've seen all the other Ernest films, like Slam Dunk Ernest, and I, Ernest Goes to School, and yeah. Ernest in the Army. They're all garbage. I, I think Ernest Scared Stupid is the last one that has good points. Okay. I think there's enough er, good Ernest, Ernest Scared then Stupid. Then Ernest rides, rides Again like was in theaters. It made $12, and then it just sort of... <laughs> Ernest was gone, just into the straight-to-video hell. But in the middle there, Mm. in 1988, uh, running from September 17th through December 24th, uh, and then in reruns for a while afterwards, on the CBS network, Ernest had his own Emmy Award-winning, but very short-lived kids' television series called Hey Vern, It's Ernest! Hey Vern! Today's your lucky day, we knew you wouldn't want to oversleep, Burn. We only do it once a week, Burn. Me and all the other guys, Burn. We even brought the pies, Burn. It's the Ernest P. Boy with a story and a moral and a big chuckle, hip trip, double dip, super super show. You know what I mean? That was a clip of uh, the. I can't tell if it's catchy or annoying opening credits music. A, a little of both. Yeah. Because it's annoying, but it won't leave your brain. It's very cheerful. And when I was a kid, that's what I saw when I closed my eyes, was that credit <laughs> sequence. Just uh, it, It's very, very, very 1980s. A lot of like paper cutout, mm-hmm. abstract collage looking stuff. Yeah. Um, like a, a lot like of a, bright, like a, bright colors. Stuff that looks like it was clipped out of like 1950s magazines. Like half sort of a Peter Gabriel around. video. Yeah. You know, like we only, we did and, like, you know, the, and, every fifth frame. And and uh, Ernest himself kind of gesticulating in and out of there. Yeah. So Ernest, mm-hmm. the series, Hey Vern, It's Ernest, is told mostly from the perspective of Vern, who we haven't really talked about. A big part of the shtick with Ernest P. Worrell was that in the commercials and usually at least one scene in any of the movies, he had a friend, mm-hmm. perhaps a good friend, perhaps a, a long-suffering friend named Vern, who... I, I always got the impression that Vern didn't want Ernest in his life. In the commercials, yes. Mm, like in the constantly- show, clearly they had some affection for each other because Vern actually does some nice things. Mm. Um, but... Uh, Ernest would go over to Vern's house and Vern would be the camera guy. Mm. We're seeing it from Vern's perspective, like in those Christopher Walken Saturday Night Live uh, sketches where you're going on a oh, date. God, and his, it was his, the, the conquistador. No, what was his name? Oh, I don't remember. The gentleman yeah. caller. I forgot what his name was. And uh, Ernest would destroy something and it'd be really embarrassing. And Vern you know, would be like, was, oh, no. I was trying be... to help. It's like, hey, I can hang up this picture. And he'd like nail into a pipe and water would spray everywhere. It's like, oh, I can fix that. And he'd jam a tub through the wall as well and I'm just tearing the house down. Exactly. So uh, the audience is Vern for most of these uh, television shows and every episode of Hey Vern, It's Ernest begins with some sort of problem. Some sort of uh, setup that uh, forces Ernest to try to come up with multiple solutions. Mm. So for example, the opening episode... uh, Hey Vern, It's Outer Space. Hey Vern, It's Outer Space. Uh, a satellite crashes into Vern's house 
and it's going to doom us all. It's all going to blow up, which is actually kind of weirdly intense for a kid show. This sort of ticking clock of doom. Uh, it was every action show you watched as a kid. Come and on. this isn't an action show. This is, this is set up as like a halfway, half Mr. Rogers, half Pee Wee's Playhouse, somewhere in the middle. Mm. You know, not quite as completely insane as Pee Wee's Playhouse, but not quite as safe. As Mr. Rogers, like somewhere in the middle, that's Havern, it's Ernest. And uh, throughout the episode, Vern will try, Vern, Vern. Ernest will try to return the, the satellite to space. Yeah, or he will practice his wrestling so he can become a professional wrestler, mm. or he will work on his costume so he can win a big prize at a costume party. Every episode has some basic setup like that. And then from there on, every episode is a sketch comedy show, and every sketch loosely involves the theme of the week. Very, very loosely. Um, yeah, there was a theme of the week. It was, uh, hey, Vern, it's outer space. Hey, Vern, it's lost and found. Hey, Vern, it's clothing. You know, something very, very, very general. And uh, they would sometimes vaguely incorporate that theme into the various sketches, which were the same every week. Uh, there were... Okay, let's see if we can oh, remember all of no, these no, sketches. No, no, hold on. I wrote, I wrote okay, most, so, if not all of them, down. Hang on. There, There was... Most obnoxiously, let's start with the most obnoxious one, which is the barber bit. Okay, um, so the barber because bit... Because the barber bit had the exact same script every week. Yeah, it's the exact same setup, mm. the exact same dialogue half the time, mm. and only a slight variation on the punchline. Yeah, uh, Ernest would go into the barber shop, and the barber said, what can I get for you? And he, Ernest would always... Would he would hem and haw and kind of spitball for a little bit and always ask to get a haircut like a Wall Street tycoon. Imagine this again. This is a long sketch. Every mm. episode of this series, he mm. would just say, "Oh yeah, well I'm gonna I'm going on a treasure hunt, mm. so I want to make sure I'm gonna look." Actually, when I'm when I get the treasure, I want to look rich. So give me a haircut that looks like a Wall Street tycoon. Mm. And then and there then would be a big montage of the hairdresser yeah. doing kind of l- weird, like, wacky things. He would, like, lunge at the camera with, like, oversized novelty barbershop items. And then we would cut to the haircut, and it was always some, like, really elaborate makeup job. Like, yeah, he would look... A chandelier or a birdhouse or some such thing. Well, he would, like, have, like, a big uh, monkey on his head. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you said a baboon. Mm. And then Ernest would just go, it could work. Mm. And then the next week it would be, oh, I'm sorry, I thought, I you, thought said, you said a, a typhoon. Or a, the man in the moon. It could work. The color maroon. Yeah. Every, the, uh, the Beyond Rangoon. I don't know what, yeah, it was the, just. The one that actually, like, and again. Did one actually make you snicker? There's a, occasionally, maybe once an episode, there was one, like, actually, like, kind of unexpected joke. Mm-hmm. That made me. That gave me a good old fashioned giggle. Uh, another one that had the exact same thing over and over and over again was the was sound it? effect guy. Oh yeah, uh, who I forget what his his sketch was named, but it was kind of like uh, one of the interstitial sketches yeah. in the MST3K episode, the Mystery Science Theater episode for Cave Dwellers, and they were explaining the concept of foley, and the idea was this guy was hosting a television series in which he was going to show you how to do movie sound effects at home. Mm-hmm. And every single movie sound effect was how to make a fart noise. Against the palm of your hand. The exact same way. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, so you've got and a rubber Wellington boot stuck in the mud. Well, I know how to do that. To, Take the flat to, of your palm, put it yeah, against the, your mouth, and breathe. The, the flat... <laughs> 
the fleshy part of her hand, put it against her cheek and blow. And he'd make the fart noise against his hand. He said, and each one was for a different movie, which was the, the blanks are a come and the blanks are a come in. Like the, yeah. you just changed the title very vaguely. Yeah. Um, that was something to do with the theme. The actor is named Gaylard. What was it? Gaylord Sartain. Gaylord Sartain uh, was in uh, some of the early Ernest movies. Yes, he was. Uh, uh, and he's kind of like one of the only notable supporting players from the Ernest universe. Uh, yeah, him, him and uh, his brother Bobby, mm. uh, they had, uh, if you recall in Ernest Saves Christmas, they were the security guards who got stuck uh, taking care of the reindeer who had been shipped to America from the mm. North Pole. And they had to sort of look after them in a warehouse until Santa could come pick them up. They have a mildly comic dyad where uh, uh, Chuck is very big and bold and funny, and uh, uh, mm. Bobby is... He's silent. Very silent, mm. but also very odd. Mm. Just they, they're they're it's they, in fact, they played they played the chefs in Ernest Goes to Camp if you recall. Oh yeah, and he, yeah, he had yeah. invented like the mystery meat producing machine. Like you could throw anything, even not food items, into it, and it would make like camp glop. Uh, my which, f- which I thought was hilarious. It was when my, I was nine. My favorite sketch, the one that was the most consistently funny for me on mm. this show, uh, and and I think part of it was because it's one of the few sketches where it changed mm. every week. Was no. Mac, was Mac and George. Okay. Uh, Ernest has, I think it's a neighbor named Mac. Mac has a roommate who is an iguana. Oh, yeah. 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 Ge- George and his roommate Mac. This 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 was also my favorite. So George is an iguana, but he's not like a guy in an iguana costume. He's just an iguana. Mm. And the but gag they, they was, also clearly had like iguana legs on sticks so he could like play piano and do funny things. Yeah. So the, every every episode, they would, we would check in on Mac and George and they were doing something that an iguana just can't do like an iguana is writing his memoirs on a mm. typewriter and it's really funny an iguana <laughs> is cooking italian food and he's setting this the stage with the, with a violin and it's it's cute it's, it's, it's really it's pretty cute. cute and you because you know an iguana is such a stone-faced creature it's it's hilarious whenever they cut to a, an iguana reaction shot uh if you can, you can probably find an interview with Werner Herzog when he was making uh, <laughs> Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, uh-huh. and how there's there's a scene in there where uh, Nicolas Cage has been taking drugs and he hallucinates like lizards and iguanas just sort of are all around the room, and those made Werner Herzog laugh and laugh and laugh. Like that was the funniest thing in the world to him because he thinks that iguanas are like the stupidest looking creatures in the world. Like <laughs> no, don't, doesn't he like hate idiot. chickens? He hates chickens he he hates hates and chickens. lizards and iguanas because they're just expressionless. They look dumb to him. Uh, another sketch that gets trotted out in every episode. Most of them do. Uh, mm. Sergeant Glory. Sergeant mm. Glory Walks in front of a classroom of students, and he's like this big kind of. He's an uh, early army type. Yeah, and he's he a just, drill instructor. Yeah, like Rah, big gruff thing, and he will tell you the rules of the thing, and it's always the same thing. It is one rule that is rather silly, mm-hmm. like oh, it's the rules of lost and found. If you lose something, take it back. Rule number two: obey all the rules. Boom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's and, it. And he'll hit something, and all of the the students will jump in unison because he hit it so hard. Yeah. Um, the sketch is usually about fifteen seconds long. Mm. But we but get it anyway. It's in every, every episode. Uh, my least favorite was probably Ernest's tongue. Ernest's tongue is fucked up. <laughs> An actor dressed as a tongue, like a big cardboard tongue outfit with his face painted tongue colored, mm-hmm. and say, Hey, I'm Ernest's tongue. And Ernest would eat something disgusting in the form of like him being pelted double dare style with big glops of big, like, gigantic 
disgusting globs and, of and, goop. And the thing is, though, it's not. It's it's kind of funny for a second because mm. it's a guy a guy in a tongue costume and it looks ridiculous. Mm. But the the reason why it's not funny is his life is terrible. The life of he, Ernest's tongue is a life of constant torture. They've anthropomorphized a part of your body, and that body is constantly suffering because of the choices you make. <laughs> That's not funny. It's just weird at best mm. and horrifying at what words. And it's gross, too. Like, yeah. it's, oh, no, here's flossing. Okay, and then they put this gigantic rope in front of him. Okay, this is weird visual gag. Yeah. And then they there's a big chunk of food stuck to it. It's like this big glob of beef. It's like, hey, I want to eat some more of that beef. That's I, I want to barf now. Thank You've you, show. Me. But uh, the other one that mm. I should have thought this was funny, but the way that they handled it was the opposite of funny, was My Father the Clown. Oh, with Debbie Derryberry. Okay, I like Debbie Derryberry mm. a lot. Debbie Derrybenny. Derry Benny? Derryberry. <sighs> Like She's got a trying. rhyming name, Debbie Derryberry. I know, and it's hard. Uh, Debbie Derryberry played the voice of Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius. She's played a, a lot of cartoon voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really familiar with her because I got one of her records recently for my child. That's fine. She uh, she has a, a couple of children's records, and I just happened to happened upon one recently. So I've been listening to her a lot in the car, and then I see her in the show. All she right. plays the young boy. <laughs> she plays the clown son <laughs> in My Father the Clown. So, uh, My Father the Clown is basically a take on a 1950s sitcom with a charming housewife, two kids, and a dad who's always just coming home from work. The gag is the dad is a clown and he is always on. Mm. He's never not a clown. And one of his sons takes after his dad and is, a, is also oh. a clown. And the other I, son I, I, is, I is a normal kid. I didn't think that he took after his dad. I thought that this was like a genetic condition. Like, well, either way, here's he, the here's the issue. Clown is not a like it's his job, but it's also just his genetic makeup. I, and here's the thing: you can play with that. You can play with this mm. comedic idea of a family. Oh, that that where sounds the, like something you'd see on the state. You know, they'd sure. actually play with it really smartly on the, something like the, the state. The, the, the fundamental idea is kind of funny, and I can kind of see it working. The problem is, is that we're always kind of seeing it from the perspective. Of uh, the, the normal son, the normal, the quote unquote normal son, the non-clown son, who is not happy. <laughs> he is, his, his his life is miserable, in fact, and he hates it. And what we see is that he's constantly begging for some form of sanity and dignity in his life. And his father gives him pies to the face. Gives him pies to the face. Basically, he's under some at least. Either it's physical, it's either mild but constant physical abuse, mm. and certainly constant emotional abuse from an emotionally unavailable father who only likes the other son <laughs> and who is constantly hurting his other son and his wife because he thinks it's funny. Mm. Now, as these sketches progress, we come to realize in a like fifties theme musical number from the mom that mom is into clowns. Mm, yeah, like, the, mom the, is mom, in. Mom, mom likes this. this. Yeah, yeah. This is this is like their like sub dom relationship. <laughs> And mom is totally into it. But the kid has wants none of this weird shtick mm. that they have to deal with every single day. Dad, and you just you know me? he's going to kill everybody someday. Can't you help me with my science project? How about an experiment where you have a pie in your face? Oh! And then, they, yeah, the other son. Like I felt like I was in that Rodney enjoy. Dangerfield bit from Natural Born Killers. Like, this is not healthy. <laughs> this is not good. It's not. It was not uh, funny. It should have been funny. It just, the way that they played it Mm. as, isn't it funny that he's horrible to his son? No, actually. Mm. I didn't care for that one. Um, What else do we have here? There is Existo the Magician, who I don't, I I can't even remember any of his gags. Well, the thing with Existo the Magician is that he didn't have a, 
it's odd to complain about a lack of consistency when we're complaining that every other thing is the same joke over and over again. But there was no fundamental idea to his sketch. It was he he did a magic trick. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. Yeah, and, and that's that, it. That was it. What's weird, actually, is that uh, so these episodes were directed by John R. Cherry uh, mm-hmm. III and someone named Coke Sams, or possibly Cokey Sams. I, I'm not 100% Co- sure. And these are longtime collaborators with Jim Varney. Cokey uh, Sams ended up directing and co writing mm-hmm. Existo, a 1999 comedy sci fi musical. And I'm going to read you the synopsis on IMDb because it sounds great. Oh. In a post-critical thought dumbed-down world, art and theater is outlawed. Only the bravest, most rebellious artists remain. With this comes the underworld art scene, not unlike the alcohol prohibition years of America. And like then, some politicians and elites are underground art seekers in the speakeasy art scene. There are also the boldest of the bold artists that take their art to the surface with public art bombs. These art bombs are met with the full force of law for fear of free thought, breaking out, and the darkness of democracy returning to the world. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. That's, that's, that's okay, a hell you, of a bit. You, you know Coke Sam's came up with that for yeah. this show, like a decade earlier. Yeah. thought, I have this great idea. It's like Existo the Magician, but he's like the last artist alive. Yeah, it stars the and, same guy who played Existo on the show oh, as Existo. Oh, that's funny. I don't know if it's in continuity or not, but I really want to see this movie. Oh, well, shoot, we couldn't have done it. It, it got a movie. <laughs> hey, Vern, it's Ernest. It's, it's a spinoff. Not, it's not a spinoff. Canceled it's a spinoff. It's uh, a spinoff. Okay, a different yeah, thing. But you you know that like he and then John Cherry and Jim Varney said, you know, that's a little too high concept. Like that's it's that's its much. own thing. How about we just use Existo and he's just like a funny magician. Fine. And Coke Sam's like, ah, oh, fine, fine. But he was like sitting there seething for a decade. Like, I'm gonna make Existo, man. Existo is gonna such a good idea. I'll show them. <laughs> See what else was there? Matt Finish. Matt Finish, the photographer, also forgettable, nothing. He would come in and say, Hi, I'm Matt Finish, and I take photographs of the theme of the week. And then there'd be like some like jump cuts of him like like, photographing some stuff. Public domain movies that he's shooting. I actually kind of liked it. I wish they'd done it more, actually, when they Mm -hmm. took like old public domain movies. Like I actually recognized one. They used footage from the Undersea Kingdom. Which was, yeah. a, which, oh, yeah, was yeah. which was a series of serialized Atlantis-themed Buck Rogers knockoff serials mm-hmm. in the late 1930s, early 1940s. And at least two episodes were used in Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes to fill mm-hmm. out the running time. And they're pretty special. <laughs> uh, so it was actually kind of funny when they would redub those. Because when you think about it, like 1988, the MST3K format, that wasn't famous yet. So that was actually kind of novel. When they yeah. would take old shows and just redub them there was something for comedic night- effect. Something Night Flight had been doing for a while. But okay, yeah, the point is, yeah. it wasn't common, and so mm. really, that that felt a little special. Mm. Um, so, Mrs. Simon Simmons, mind your manners. I liked her. Uh, I need. Let me. What What is her name? Uh, uh, the, the actress who played uh, Simon uh, Jackie Simmons. Welch. Jackie Welch. She. Yeah. She was a class act. You could tell she was really trying to sell it and do something kind of classy with yeah. it. And she, she got to she, sing a lot, and she was very yeah. talented. Mrs. Simon Simmons uh, gave you at rules of etiquette, and honestly, they weren't all bad rules of etiquette. Mm. They were kind of uh, limited in scope. Like, you know, proper movie theater etiquette, make sure you don't slurp your soda. Mm. Yeah. Okay, yes. 
But then you're, she, you're not wrong. The, the joke was she would then demonstrate and do this really slobby thing, even though she was dressed very prim. What was the rhyming gag from one of the later episodes where it was like, um, just because it rhymes doesn't make it true? <laughs> you know? Memes aren't facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like, yeah, just be, you know, you gotta actually like learn like when someone like if I said, hey, break a plate. Eat a snake. I don't have to eat a snake now that I broke this plate. You don't have to do all that. Just, and I was actually like, wow, some sanity in the world of Hey Vern, it's Ernest. <laughs> Your mother's back does not break when you step on a crack. Exactly. And I mm. thought that was actually mm. valuable. <laughs> um, oh, 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 what the, the baby Ernest. Well, that, that I was, hate baby Ernest. That was a shtick carried over from like like family al- album and your yeah. world as I see it. No, like some of the commercials were baby Ernest. That, always, was, that was an old joke. Baby Ernest always felt like half a joke to me because it's basically so it's like it's like a shot yeah. of a baby crib. And there's like a doll baby with like very mild articulation well, as, as they're like flailing about. And it was Ernest's head. Yeah, Jim Varney would stick his head up through a hole in the mattress and they put like the body of a baby doll that he could move. It had like articulated limbs yeah. from underneath the mattress. So it was a, a baby with Jim Varney's full size adult head. And the gag was that it was always the baby saying, boy, grown up sure do talk funny. My dad says that when he saw my mom, he had stars in his eyes. And I bet that would hurt. Bada bang. And then we're done. Well, the, the jokes weren't funny. I think the, the comedy bit was just the visual. Like just seeing that creepy baby monster. It's creepy though. It is creepy. I didn't care for it. Uh, let's see. What it's we not got. as creepy as the baby from the Kingdom Two that had an infant's body, but Udo Kier's head. Respect. Uh, Willie the robot was a cute robot. Uh, that was that was a carryover from Doctor Otto and the Riddle of the Gloom Beam. Okay. Doctor uh, Otto occasionally had a bit. Uh, who is is it? Anti Velda? Zelda? Anti Velda. The, the old uh, Jim Varney and drag. Oh. um... Jim Varney would dress yeah. up as an old woman, Auntie Nelda. Auntie who Nelda. Who was this very, uh, uh, um, what's, what's the right word I'm, I'm Pepper thinking? Pot, perhaps? She's a pepper pot, but mm. she's, she's just she's Cro- scornful. Uh, scornful bitty? Yeah, just very, very scornful well, about she, everything. She was the only character that I thought had any sanity because she was cynical about everything. Yeah. Like, oh, are you going to come in here? And and I, I actually did like the old lady voice. The, that character I thought was a, a fun creation. That character has been fun in movies. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's another one. We, we uh, talk, yeah, Dr. Otto had oh, a Oh, Dust Bunny. Oh, well, Dust Bunny was just a recurring character. Yeah. Who would Ver- show up in the, the Ernest story segments. Yeah, Ernest would be struggling to try to solve the problem of the week. Mm. And a Dust Bunny who actually looked a bit like a bunny, but made of dust, and, and, would emerge. And it was like a foot and a half across. It was like gigantic dust bunny with a face. Yeah, so it's a puppet, and mm. it emerges, and Ernest says, hey, I'm trying to f- uh, find this buried treasure, locate Vern's lost dog. And the dust bunny would sound like, Vern, you can't find a lost dog. You can't even find your head with your hands tied behind your thingy. Mm. And then Ernest would behind go, his thingy. I don't know. And then Ernest <laughs> would sneeze a lot, and then that would be that. Mm-hmm. The Dust Bunny looks like a Whoopie. Do you remember Whoopies? No. These little cotton balls with googly eyes and antenna and sticky feet. No memory Those, of that whatsoever. You don't, I guess you're too young for Whoopies. Whoopies used to be like giveaways at like gas stations. You could get Whoopies in the mail. They were really common. What, do you remember Whoopies? 
You guys remember whoopies, right? No one remembers whoopies. You're making whoopies up. I'm not. Here's my thing I've, with... I've, conf- I've conferred with my wife. She remembers whoopies. She didn't know the name, but they're called whoopies. We haven't done a lot of kids' shows, and we've never done a kids' show quite like this, mm. where there was a genial host talking to children, ostensibly yeah. teaching them things. Um, and I think... I, I will say this. I, I reserve some criticism for this show, and we're going to get really into the nitty-gritty of that in a minute. Um, Ernest is a natural fit for that. One, because he's very well, likable, but the other thing I think is really neat about Since it. he was conceived to fit into any conceivable scenario, that yeah. being a host or an MC of a program is kind of where he needs to be. But for kids in particular, because when you think about like who are the great kids show hosts. Mm. You have Mr. Rogers, who was very mm. inviting, very friendly, told every kid they were special, and that's mm. great. Fran, had, Fran Allison. Yeah, Fran mm. Allison, uh, who was less familiar with than I was Mr. Rogers. Mm. Um, uh, Pee-wee was obviously mm. very uh, uh, wild and broad, and he wanted to visit his house. It was super cool. Ernest was kind of right in the middle, and his shtick was really clever, actually, because his shtick was he's very enthusiastic, he always means well. Yeah. But the kids are smarter than he is. Mm. And the movies never really dealt with that very much, except in Ernest Scared Stupid, which I think is one of the reasons why... I guess Ernest goes to camp a little bit. Like, mm. why those are some of the more beloved amongst kids who grew up with them. Because there are kid characters in yeah, them. Yeah, and usually that's death. But in this case, the kids are smarter than the adults. And that that is a better dynamic for yeah. a kid's movie. Like, Goonies works well in that regard. Well, it, it's, it it's also, got more edge to it. But, yeah, it's, it's a he, kid's rule kind of thing. But he's, he's he, very yeah, likable. He has a child's intelligence. He's into the same thing the kids are. Mm-hmm. Like, the kids want, a, want to build a treehouse. Well... Ernest is an adult, he's just as enthusiastic about treehouses, and he's built one. Yeah. And it has catapults and stuff. He's very imaginative. He's very likable. He's imaginative, he lives in this weird world of, like, gadgets. Yeah, he is sort of like Pee Wee Jr. in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... I actually really like Ernest as a character. Yeah, I've watched. I've I've watched all the Ernest movies, and some of them just suck out loud. But (laughs) but Ernest is always so approachable. He's like Larry the Cable Guy without the arrogance. Like, there's a lot of this sort of blue movement in blue collar comedy that's really kind of. This is the proper way to look at the world. Yeah. This is observational, and if we could all just sort of agree that this is the right way, then my way, you know, everyone... Ron White, for instance, like, really is kind of almost insult comic in a lot of ways. Yeah. Just, you, you can't fix stupid. It was his, his shtick. Um, Ernest never had that sort of arrogance. He was always completely innocent. Uh, he was always eager to please. He was always in a good mood. And whenever he saw somebody in trouble, he was... Always eager to help, even though he would, of course, always destroy things. Well, here's but th- that uh, that innocence and that v- urge to virtue made him a very watchable character. Well, and, and you want to hang out with them. See, here's the thing: when you think about a lot of the quote unquote funny characters, mm-hmm. especially ones who had like a lot of like a long shtick, the, the, the comic relief characters, the groundling school of character building. Sure, yeah. but even if you go back a bit, like, can you imagine actually knowing the Three Stooges? You would want to <laughs> you'd move out of town to get away from those guys. Mm-hmm. The Marx Brothers, maybe if you were their close friend, they were nice. But honestly, it would just get exhausting. You, you after could a while. not catch up with the Marx yeah. Brothers. Or, or even like more contemporary stuff. Mm. Like a lot of people like those hangover movies. I think mm. the first one's okay. But like Zach Galifianakis is the funny guy. You would want to die if you knew him. He's like the worst person to be mm. around. He's kind of funny to watch, but you don't want to hang out with him. Ernest, I'd be friends with Ernest. Mm. 
Yeah. I would be friends. I, I wouldn't you want to. You could actually go over to his house and hang out for a little bit. Yeah, I would invite have him a over. Sandwich. I would have a nice time with him. He's, <laughs> he's friendly and he's sweet. And even when he screws things up, he never screws them up that bad. And he always fixes it at the end. Mm. So I dig him. What's weird is that that affability is only kind of in the show because the show is manic as hell. Well, and it Ernest only appears in portions of it. Yeah. Like a er, third. Er, Ernest is the one sort of like holding up sort of the theme or the, it's the only one that has sort of a story arc within sort of like the four segments that appeared throughout the episode. Yeah. Oh, um, there's more than four. There's like a dozen little bits. They would keep her going back to the same ones. Uh, over I, I get it. But he just sort of like still here. This is the theme. I'm still working on this. Okay. We'll be back. Here's four more sketches. But all the sketches are like a maximum of like 20 seconds long most mm. of the time. Like you're lucky if one lasts more than a minute oh. and it keeps this really frantic pace, mm. which I can appreciate if you're like, you know, sitting down in front of a TV, you know, with a bowl of chocolate frosted sugar bombs in the Saturday morning, you might, that might be fun for you, but it doesn't have, there's no difference than like the energy you're getting from the kids commercials that are going to be between the segments anyway. I, I disagree. I, I sensed a kind of low ebb of energy. It, it wasn't frantic enough for my taste. Uh, because, wow. because I've seen Monty Python's Flying Circus, and I've seen Laugh-In, and I've seen the kinds of things that this show tries to be emulating but making friendly for kids. Mm-hmm. It's like Laugh-In for children. Okay. And Laugh-In like, will smash your face against the wall and drag it across before you even know what's <laughs> happened. There's, there's no chance to take a breath. In fact, there's even a joke where Jack Benny, who is you know a, a little bit older by the time he appeared on Laugh-In wasn't allowed to sort of tell a joke because this is TV and you have to keep it moving. And people would come up and say, you, you can't, you can't tell the punchline. We just got to keep it moving. And they'd push them off stage. And I, I didn't get the sense that they had to keep on, keep it moving. Even there was, yeah, they just didn't really have the right kind of energy for as much, as many ideas as they had. And for as many gags as they tried to cram into this, the energy never took off. And maybe it's because there weren't any damn laughs in the show. It's not it's funny. not funny. It's even, just even, enthusiastic. It, it's eager to tell its jokes, but it doesn't have any sort of sense of actual comedy to mm. it. And I can't imagine being a little a, like a little kid sitting and just laughing their butt off to something like "Hey, Vern, it's Ernest." They might be smiling, enjoying mm-hmm. it, getting in, you know, getting off on the energy, but not really just falling over clutching their bellies because they can't breathe. Yeah. The fact that they repeat the same gags it's kind of like a little kid reading the same joke book over and over again. They're not you know, you read a joke book for kids, those aren't jokes that are meant to be funny, really. They're supposed like to what 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 is a bat keep outside his bathtub? A bat mat. I don't even get Oh, I get it. Cuz it's it's a pun on I bat, get it on bat yeah, yeah, mat. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's not quite a joke. I feel like jokes like but, that are teaching kids what jokes exactly. are. Exactly. That that's that's the function they serve. They're te- teaching kids what comedy is, what a pun is, how a joke is supposed to be structured, so you can tell a funny one later in life. And so you can recognize a joke. When yeah. It, when and it I comes feel like yeah. Hey Vern, it's Ernest is sort of like comedy training. This is what something really frantic is going to look like later on, but we're gonna keep the comedy off. For the moment, yeah, this is what a joke would look like. But just imagine funny in it, and I and I think that's that's kind of its its downfall. So I just mm. feel like it's 
it's I, I actually found the pacing a bit manic All if, right, I'm, right. if I'm being honest because you gotta remember this was on Saturday morning TV but I want to talk about like some of the stuff that was on at the same time okay so this Haver and its Ernest was on uh, on CBS mm-hmm. and on in fall 1988 here was the CBS Saturday morning lineup this is these were shows I was watching by oh the me way. too this is me too most so, uh, yeah. I, what I would do is I would switch because there was ABC there was CBS and there was NBC mm-hmm. and they had their Saturday morning lineups and if you didn't like what was on one of them you could check the other two and if you didn't like those you did the best you could yeah, so then you watched golf or wrestling that's those are the other things that were on so it started off at 8 a.m Saturday mm-hmm. mornings uh, they had on CBS the Adventures of Raggedy Ann and Andy. Everybody I, loves that show. Everybody remembers that one fondly. That, that, that was a revival, by the way. Raggedy Ann and Andy were kind of out of the public eye, and they right. tried to bring it back. Uh, followed by the Ruby Spears animated Superman, which one day we'll get to. <laughs> uh, followed by Muppet Babies, which was... Oh, that was a steamroller. Everybody loved Muppet There was like Babies, an hour's yeah. worth of Muppet Babies. They went mm-hmm. nuts with it. Uh, followed by Pee-wee's Playhouse. Okay. It's getting real good. Followed by Garfield and Friends. I loved Garfield and Friends. Followed, some, some of it kind of holds up. Followed by, at 11 a.m., Hey Vern, It's Ernest. Now, I don't know about you, but by oh, 11 a.m., that means my the parents cartoons expect, are over. My parents yeah. expected me to be st- to stop watching cartoons and do something. Mm. Like, we're going to go out as a family, or mm. now it's time to do chores, well, or e- something. E- even if your parents just let you watch TV indiscriminately, and you could watch until, you know, one in the afternoon, there was a point where you knew the, the car, like, the, t- the tides had turned. Yeah. Like, you, you can get up early. You can get up as early as, like, 5.30 or 6 and start with cartoons and run all the way through until, like, 10.30 or 11. Yeah. And just but By about 11, like, once you knew... But, the, once the littles were on, you knew it was yeah, about Yeah, you over. knew there was, like, one last cartoon that wasn't very good, or that's when they switched to, like, the kids' sitcoms, like, Hey Dude or Saved by the Bell. Oh, in, in my case, mm. you, knew, you knew the weekend was dead when the Saturday morning cartoons were over and they started showing golf yeah then then golf would come on golf and and then, you're gonna watch i still don't get it that, you're gonna that was, watch golf that was the wall that they put at the end <laughs> of your your uh, cartoon like, marathon hey, it's like kids. it's a dead stop they're not yeah. gonna easy out at all hey kids wouldn't homework be better than yeah. golf <laughs> well this is thanks for watching for four straight hours now that all the sugars worked its way through your system but those other shows get that the were, hell away from the tv those other shows i mean the raggedy and andy and superman okay fine but mm-hmm. Like, those other shows that were preceding Hey Ernest, you know, you had Muppet Babies, you had Pee Wee's Playhouse, you had Garfield and Friends. These were shows that had a very clear vision, and they had characters, and they had well, a they, point. They, they had marquee value, which yeah. was all that was happening in a lot of uh, and you can argue, 1980s Saturday morning programming. You could argue that, that Ernest P. Worrell had some marquee value. Ernest Goes to Camp was a minor hit. Mm-hmm. Ernest Saves Christmas was about to be a minor hit. Um, people knew who he was he from was, the commercials. He, he had some marquee value. Yeah. But... His show was, even though it was the same sketches over and over again, it really wasn't very well defined. It was a little, uh, I'm going to use Manic maybe not just for pacing, but just in terms of its tone. Mm. They're just constantly like dangling the keys in front of you, trying yeah. to keep your your attention. And maybe it was also trying to scare you away from the TV. Maybe. I also think it <laughs> skewed really young. Yeah. If after like by late in the day, like you know, it's 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 a, it's a very childlike, mm. even for a kids show. Like Garfield, so it's like, it's like Garfield s- had a little attitude on him. Like, like you know, seven year olds and nineteen year old people with hangovers. Yeah. My thing with Ernest with Haver and it's Ernest is that I don't. I think they were hovering around a really good idea, mm-hmm. and. 
And then they didn't want to go there. Because what I like about the show and what the repetition actually kind of gives me is a sense that Vern, uh, Vern and Ernest live in a community. Mm. And there are episodes... We're not going by every episode because every episode's the fucking same. Uh. But uh, you know, there'd be episodes like, oh, there's a talent show in town. And we would see every character doing their talent. And they would even talk about, hey, we're going to that er- party with Ernest later. Yeah. Uh, even like the clown. Like every... Even characters who seem to have no connection whatsoever. They live in the same town. But there was never a scene where they were all in the same room. Uh, I don't... I think... Yeah, I don't... They're, I think like the, Ernest only ever interacted with the hairdresser and Vern and that's it. And the only... Like, he went to a party, like the costume party, and everyone was dressed as chickens. But it wasn't all the characters we knew dressed as chickens. Yeah. It was other random strangers from the neighborhood dressed as chickens. And that's the thing that I actually started kind of liking about it a little bit. Even though I didn't think their shows were very funny. Mm. I got the. It was like SCTV. They're all te- they're all making shows. <laughs> they all have their own little little foibles. This is like Ernest's town, mm. and I felt like if this had been a show about Ernest's community and the type of community where an Ernest could thrive, and where it, a Doctor Otto would be accepted, where and this it had a- more like sitcom like. Plots. Yeah, even, or you could even just keep it kind of random, like something going on in town, everyone does their shtick, occasionally mm-hmm. they interact, that could be that. I liked the idea of the community. The sketches, they're not good sketches. They're cute characters. Mm-hmm. At best, they're cute characters. And I uh, liked wanting, I wanted to just hang out with the characters. I, the jokes they were telling weren't decent jokes mm-hmm. a lot of the time. The way I was describing it to you while I was watching it, because I was a little ahead of you on this one, was... Yeah, it took um, me forever to get through this one. I'm sorry, folks. uh, Every episode felt like the pilot. Like, they were trying out the jokes for the first time in every single episode. Yeah. Like, they, they weren't really... Like, it... They were working on something that they were trying to clearly trying to refine, and you kind of knew that they were still trying to refine it, because that's the way the pilot works. But every single episode was that way. Mm-hmm. Like, they still hadn't quite refined the character. And they were going to try it again next week, but it was the same character and the same joke, and they were still hadn't quite refined it yet. And I think it was like the, they had come up with an interesting character, but they didn't have a bit yet, and they were testing out bits on the audience for an entire season of television. Yeah, you need they were to- just testing bits, and none of them ever took. Yeah. Like, uh, not one character didn't ever excel or pull ahead or find sort of the niche for itself. They always were on the same note. Yeah. And some of them had appeared before. Maybe you had affection for Dr. Otto. Maybe you had affection for the smiley face robot. I like the iguana. The iguana was kind of cute. Yeah. But, yeah, they never sort of... Like, a star never stepped forth and kind of took control of the show in the way you would hope it would. It was, there wasn't a Coneheads or Wild and Crazy Guys, like, where they kept coming back to the same characters and developing their story because they were clearly the hit. Yeah. They just kept on well, because, testing bits. Because Coneheads or Wild mm. and Crazy Guys or any recurring Saturday Night Live is a great example. Mm. Everyone knows Saturday Night Live characters. They'll find different situations to put them in. It mm. won't be the exact... The only, like, the only Saturday Night Live characters I think of was the exact same gag over and over again who were great mm. were the Blues Brothers. But they at least played a different song every time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's at least you had that. I don't know the name of Rob Schneider's, uh, like, gives everyone nicknames character. But every once in a while, they'd mess around with that and play with your expectations. Like, there'd be one where he lost his mojo and he couldn't do it anymore. uh, Or he's, like, at the signing of the Declaration of Independence or something. Yeah, like, you come up with a new place to put that (laughs) character, and that can be kind of funny. Um, Hey, Vernon's Ernest lasted 13 episodes. It won two Emmy Awards. 
Uh, one for is, daytime this Emmys. This isn't our first Emmy winning cancellation No, we've show, had a few. Yeah. Uh, like Casablanca won an Emmy oh, award. Yeah, usually it. they're below the line stuff. Mm. Like usually it's like for best credit sequence or something like that. Mm. Uh, best here, lighting or costumes. This, this, yeah. one, this one, two daytime Emmy awards. One was for best uh, title design, like graphics and fine. Mm. Uh, and But the other one was for uh, uh, Jim Varney as best children's host performer. Mm. Uh, and good for him. I'm glad he he won Emmy. So when this was canceled, there actually was like a letter writing campaign to save it in the late 80s, which is not common practice. Obviously, it didn't work. Uh, Now it is on DVD. Um, If this had lasted 100 episodes, I'd have been very surprised. I I would have been inclined to face Can you imagine? I'll say this before. They needed needed to innovate after episode two, and they (laughs) didn't. They they lasted through to to 13. Can you imagine the same gags and the same characters? through like a hundred straight episodes like how many gags can how many times can we look at Ernest's tongue how many times too many man you'd even get tired of that iguana after a while you need new gags you need new characters and you need to start playing with it a little bit at least in order for that to function and Um, that that, yeah just their unwillingness to innovate and and to do the same episode 13 times in a row I wonder if it was honestly I wonder if it was an extension of uh, sort of streamlining the production. Mm. So, like, instead of going back to this, listen, we have 13 episodes. We know we're going to do 13. We'll come up with the premise right now. Mm. Okay, so we've got the barbershop sketch. Let's do 13 today. You could do Do all 13 today. Let's do 13 of the tongue sketches today. Mm. We'll do 13 of the baby sketches today. We can finish an entire season in two weeks. You you dress a guy up as a tongue, you have, you know, buckets of glop to throw at him, and you have him just sort of riff for five straight hours. After a while, he'd start coming up with some weird, interesting new stuff, because he'd just be bored after a while. I I suppose that's And that would have been great if, like, the show had started just descending into chaos as it went along, because the actors are getting more and more tired, and they're just trying to keep themselves interesting. That would have been fun. And yet, at the same time, it's also an interesting writing practice mm. to try to come up with a different way to do the same thing over and over and mm. over again. So we're going to do that right now. Oh, no. We're going to assemble an episode of <laughs> Hey Vern, It's Ernest. <laughs> Which we can do. Oh, yeah, very easily. So mm. I'm just going to, we're going to come up with a theme, and we're going to come up with a general idea for each sketch, which is about as far as most sketches got. Thanks for prepping me on this, by the way. <laughs> Thanks, thanks for giving me, uh, preparing me and letting me know that this is something we were going to do. You're welcome. See, you planned this out so well. Isn't it great? So come me out here. Come up with a theme. Come up with, like, what's what's a general sort of thing we can talk to kids about? Car repair. Mm, car repair is pretty Let's talk about cars. Cars. Okay, cars okay. in general. Cars. Okay, so what's the main what's the main gag? Ernest has to uh, er- blank. Ernest uh, has won a car and has to make his way across town, but he can't get there because he doesn't have a car yet. Okay, that's cute. Um, All right, and then mm-hmm. he's gonna get there, and he's gonna find out it's a toy car or, or something, or, or it's a yeah, it's a banana mobile, some strange car. Okay, I like mm. that. It gets out of the house, which I which I really appreciate. Mm. All right, so Lonnie Don School of Hollywood Sound Effects. Mm. What's the car themed movie he he uh, worked on? The, the Yugos are a coming. The Yugos are a coming. All right, now we're and gonna the sound is is a, a the sound of a motor breaking down. Okay, I like it. So the sound of a motor breaking down in the mud. Okay, yeah. so we're just gonna wrap your hand around your the, your face like so. Of course, we're we're both bearded, so we can't actually do it's the sound do. effect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work with the beard. It's not as fun. Ah, it's a good thing. Good thing there aren't a lot of kids with beards. Otherwise, it would have really ruined the show. 
All right. Uh, so the haircut sketch. Mm-hmm. So Ernest comes in. He's he's wandering through the town. He wants to look good when he starts getting pictures taken with his new car. Mm-hmm. So uh, give me. Uh, you know what? Let's make me look like a Wall Street tycoon. All right. Uh, what's it? What's he gonna? What's he gonna look like? Um, what rhymes with with tycoon? A, a Chrysler typhoon. No. A Chrysler typhoon. No. There is a car called a typhoon. I know. Well, they did typhoon already. Oh, that's right. They did. did It's like a tropical typhoon. Yeah. Um, Um, What about... They did hot air balloon. Um, Oh, oh. (laughs) I I thought uh, you said... Tall bassoon, and he's got like a big woodwind instrument head. Oh, I, I was trying to think of a car pun of some kind. Now, car, car related pun. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, um, I, I ain't got nothing. I got yet. nothing. I'm We're sorry. moving on. We've spent too much time on this already. Sergeant Glory. Sergeant Glory comes up. We got to tell you the rules of cars. Rule number one: follow all traffic laws. Rule number two: always follow the rules. Mm-hmm. Moving on. My father, the clown. My father, the clown, comes home and... Uh, well, he comes home with his new car and all of his buddies. All 40 of them! Ha <laughs> ha! That's actually not bad. All right. Here <laughs> we go. cleverer than anything in the show. All right. Existo the magician. Yeah. He's here with his new trick that is a disappearing car? Too, too expensive. Too expensive. Let's scale it back. Um, scale it back. Scale it back. It, it, it would be like he tried. He it's it's got to be a toy car for Exist mm-hmm. of the Magician because he just has sort of the the little pedestal. Yeah. And uh, he he tries to make it disappear, but instead there's a hamster in it, and the hamster drives the car away. Deal. All right. Matt Finish. Matt Finish likes taking pictures of himself in cars. Done. <laughs> This is Simon Simmons. Mind your manners. Proper oh, car d- etiquette. Par- parking etiquette. How about that? Oh, park. But kids aren't going to drive. Let's have backseat etiquette. Backseat etiquette. Backseat don't, etiquette. Don't kick the seat in front of you. Yeah. Remember, there is an invisible line mm. in the middle of the car. Stay mm. on your side. And she kung fu kicks a chair over. All right. Ernest's tongue. Oh, God. Uh, he eats drive through food. Hates drive through food. Okay. And, and Ernest gets uh, d- dips his fries in his milkshake. Done. Okay, great. Uh, Mac and George. Uh, George is getting his driver's license, and he's practicing. (laughs) And Mac is teaching him, but he's not very good at, like, parallel parking yet. Mm. And it's really scary for for, for, for Mac. And he knocks over a tree. All right. Iguana's driving. It's a fun image. I like it. (laughs) All right. Uh, Chuck and Bobby. Why are Chuck and Bobby's Adventure of the Week? Um, Truck hunting. They have a harpoon and they want to. And they want to. Too weird. Scale back. Scale back. Scale back. It's funny, but it's. I it's like too truck random. hunting. All right. Truck hunting is fine. <laughs> the the truck hunting is its own thing. We're going to do a spinoff someday. <laughs> truck hunting the series. It's too good for this. We're going to save it. And we'll do um, it when we do Existo the movie. They, <laughs> they, uh, they, they, they can't get the, their snow. They're wondering when to put their take their snow chains off, and it's the middle of summer. Okay, yeah, and they keep right. crunching and they things keep, in the yeah, thing. Yeah, they, they crunch and they ran over stuff. Okay, that could be kind of funny. All right, all right. Uh, Willie the robot. What's Willie the robot doing this week? Willie the robot uh, n- refuses to drive because a car is a slave. Again, too much. <laughs> uh, Scale it back. A ta- car ta- is his takes, friend. Takes pieces out of a car to replace his own body parts. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Oh no, my arm doesn't work, and he just sort of yanks a new arm out of a car. And okay, it, that's know? kind of funny. Okay, uh, baby Ernest. What's the the car lingo? The baby Ernest mm. doesn't quite understand. Uh, uh, let we got in my we got in Daddy's car, and he said, "Let's burn rubber." And I don't understand why they didn't put their fingers on their nose. Parents sure talk funny sometimes. Let's move on. <laughs> dust bunny, Ernest, you it's can't like, go get a car. Like, I'm a dust bunny. Moving on. 
Dr. Otto. Dr. Otto has built an evil car invention that makes mm. horns louder. I mean, or no, it, it goes faster than any other car and knocks buildings over. No, you can't do that in special effects. You just have to talk about how evil the car yeah, is. Yeah, you, you, you want something you can see. Okay, like a, a lot, car horn a is annoying horn and, and you can do it. And it's got a lot of wires on it. And yeah. It makes heads explode. All right. Oh, airbags. They're airbags, but they make fart noises. Perfect. Okay. Uh, and, oh, and uh, what is Auntie Nelda doing this week? Auntie Nelda is just bitter because she had her driver's license taken away. Oh, there you go. Oh, she's in line at the DMV. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's kind of fun. Mm. There you go. That's a whole episode of Ernest. We put it together okay. in four minutes. Okay, writers, get going. <laughs> we, need, we need a script on our desk in the next 30 minutes. And you know what? Yeah. That's probably the way they made the show. It's not. Th- my point is this. When you have the sketches as rigidly defined as this, mm-hmm. it's not hard. I mean, I'm, granted, I would like to workshop those a little bit, but like... We would put together an episode of that pretty quick, and it would compare. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe... I'm not saying we're as good as these folks, but it would belong in the same show. <laughs> like, it's... it's it's As a format, mm. there's a simplicity to it that really just makes it seem like, you know what, we're not going to... We're not going to rock the boat here. We're going to make this as easy on ourselves as possible. Despite all the wacky, weird stuff that was on this show, like the talking tongue, Dr. Otto is probably a space alien. I'm not exactly sure what he is. He's something. There's a a robot. It doesn't feel absurd. It feels really safe. It's it's super safe. Yeah. Like, it's trying to be super safe. Like, with shows like this, you run into the uh, danger, sketch comedy shows. Mm-hmm. There's going to be something that ages poorly, and there's a few things. Uh, again, I think the whole clown segment just reads as kind of sociologically a mean, little, gross. Little spirited. There's a couple of gags where Ernest pretends he's a samurai. That's mm-hmm. Ernest doesn't know he's doing the wrong thing, so you're not mad at Ernest, but you're mad yeah. at the people who did the show because it's kind of shitty. Of course, a, a decade later, he dressed as an Indian in one of the movies. Yeah. And that was really offensive. So that was part of his shtick. And again, yeah. he, like I said, he was kind of emulating Jonathan Winters, and Jonathan Winters would just play a hundred different roles in his stand-up routine. So sure. he comes up with a funny voice. He comes up with a funny character. He wants to do it. Yeah. So he, he can, some of it he can do better than others. Reasonable Bengali accent. So have him play yeah. an Indian. Well, but he's not Indian. Oh no! Don't paint him. Don't paint him. Oh, oh God. God! What did you do, Ernest in the army? Why were you thinking this? What or no, was wait, your... that was Ernest Goes to Africa, where he, he oh, plays yeah. the Indian man. There's a lot yeah. of problems with that one. Um, so, but honestly, it's it's harmless, mm. but it's not very good. It's it's not good because it's harmless. Yeah, it's just not doing if, anything. If you're going to tell silly jokes and have you know a lot of different sketches and have all these really wild characters... Be wild about it. That's what Pee Wee's Playhouse did, and that's why it became so popular. Or if it you're going to be safe, was... be, be nurturing, like Mr. Rogers. Mr. Yeah. Rogers was incredibly welcoming, well, like, and everyone was cool, man. Give, give was some sort of like good lessons. You I know, know your parents are fighting right now, but everything's safe here. We're good. Mm-hmm. We're just going to relax. A tiger's going to have a thing with a king somewhere, and then we're just going to, oh, now we're sketching. Isn't that fun? Mm-hmm. Oh, what you're drawing is great. That's nice too. There, Vern is like in the hey, Vern is in the middle of that, and it's just neither here nor there. Neither fish nor fowl. So uh, I think it's safe was, to say that it wasn't canceled too soon. No, no, it wasn't. It's, it's cute that we have it. It and I'm trying to cast my own mind back to when you know in the 
when I was maybe seven mm-hmm. and, you know, just getting into TV properly, like yeah. starting to love television shows and actually remember what I was watching. And I'm not sure if I think this might have been something I would have watched. Well, I, yeah, and, I, was and watching... I would have had memories about it. And I think I might have been remembering it fondly. Mm-hmm. Well, but here's my I, thing. But again, it's not giving me humor. It's not like giving me jokes I can repeat to my friends. I can it, tell you. I can tell you right fucking now uh-huh. what I was doing when the show was on. Okay, because <laughs> I, I watched. I, I watched Pee Wee's Playhouse, followed by Garfield and Fr- I watched Muppet Babies, Pee Wee's Playhouse, then Garfield and Friends. Uh-huh. That was my shtick. Uh, a pup named Scooby Doo. Occasionally, boo, I'd switch out. Of, if Garfield was a rerun, All I would right. switch over to ABC and watch a pup named Scooby Doo because I had no interest in the Elf Tales Hour <laughs> at NBC. <laughs> I liked Ghostbusters, but at that point they were doing Slimer and the real Ghostbusters, and oh, that show can yeah. fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so well, when then. Garfield and Friends was over and Hey Vernon's Ernest went on, I, and I have mixed feelings about this today, mm. I flipped to the Chipmunks. Oh, shame on you. I know. Shame on you. You were one of the people who kept that damn thing alive. <laughs> How many seasons did it last? 17? 80,000. It's still going. Still Still going going strong. Those weird 80s peach-headed mutant creature chipmunks. I never... I want to make this clear. When we talk about the chipmunks, Elvin and the chipmunks, especially the 1980s iteration of them, it never occurred to me that they were actually chipmunks. Because they they don't look like chipmunks. Not not a damn thing like chipmunks Anyway, they look like you'd squeeze their heads, and like really delicious juice would come out. They they look like you're looking at the, uh, you know like the sketches of sea monkeys like that don't look like Brian Shrimp. Uh-huh. They look like you're looking at that without your glasses. Yeah, a little kind <laughs> Just of a little, little hazy, like mm. is that aquatic monster. No, uh, Al- Alvin and the Chipmunks as a concept, like the Ross Bagdasarian records, are fine. I think they are cute. terrific as novelty records, and I'm kind of glad that they're still going. Like, you can still get new Alvin and the Chipmunks records. It's fine, In the 90s, I picked up an Alvin and the Chipmunks cassette called The A-Files, and it was all science fiction songs. Mm. Uh, You haven't died inside until you've heard Alvin and the Chipmunks rapping the Men in Black rap. Yeah. Uh, When it came time to put them on TV, they... Like, there was that cool, like, really kind of expressionistic 1960s design of the Chipmunks. Yeah, they looked neat. Yeah, like, blocky bodies, and they were much more, like, abstract shapes. Yeah, they they were stylish. They looked really neat. Yeah, and then came the 80s, and they get, went through that massive redesign, and it was like a horrific nightmare out of 1984. And I'm not sure if you're paying attention to what the Chipmunks went through, because there are, like, what, five films now? Oh, there's a ton. There's a ton of them, and they do the CGI things, and they look fine in CGI for, they're, they're for, okay. for CGI children's films monstrosities. People are doing their jobs. Comparatively, they look fine. I'd rather look at them than the Smurfs. Okay. <laughs> for whatever that's, that's worth. I, honestly, that's that's a Sophie's Choice thing. <laughs> it's just a lateral I don't, move. I, I think they're the same. But there's also a new TV ver- CGI TV version of Alvin and the Chipmunks where they just look like children with like brown stripes down their faces and little brown noses. I haven't even seen and it's that. even worse oh. than the 1980s version. I've seen them in toy stores, and yeah, it's like if Upchuck came to life. It is terrible. <laughs> So shame on you for watching. Shame on all of us Have for you watching Alvin and the Chipmunks and and convincing ourselves that that crap was good. Why did we watch that show? It was just the theme song, I think. 
Like the, the theme, the, it was a well, catchy, the music it's a catchy was okay. theme song, the, and it pushed us through the whole show. There would be musical numbers that were songs we knew. It was mm. mildly amusing that they were done in like that high pitched, nah. sped up thing. That's it. <laughs> That's the whole shtick. That's all I. That, honestly, I don't remember. I probably watched every episode of Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> I remember one episode. Where Alvin was left home alone, and everyone took bets on whether or not he would wreck the place, and then they sang "Uptown Girl." That's it. <laughs> that's, all I, that's all I remember. That's sing all. "Uptown Girl." <laughs> that's, that's it. That's so all what, I remember. What's Billy Joel doing these days? Yeah, that's that's uh, all I know. I remember the, that the epi- and the original movie. That's it. The, I remember an episode where Dave had to leave town, and uh, at the exact moment when a wax statue of him was being delivered to the house, and they couldn't tell the difference. And they thought he would. Then they thought he was sick because he wasn't responding to any stimulus. They thought he might be dying. This sounds like a so horror they, story. So they put him out in the sun, this thinking like he might Twilight need some sun, episode. and his face started to melt off. And they were terrified that he was dying because his face was now melting off. And they pushed his face into this like grotesque Maybe melted show is better smile. Than I remember. And they all started bawling because Dave was was like at death's door, and they had to go to like some speaking engagement, and they were in tears while they were giving speeches about how. He was dying. That's an actual episode. That's an actual episode of Alvin and the Chipmunks. Okay, Alvin and the Chipmunks was We're great. We're off topic now. <laughs> Alvin and the Chipmunks was great, apparently. That's an amazing episode of television. I want to watch that. And Dave, I want to watch that now. And Dave with the melted face. Why did your face have to melt off? I'm so sad. That's so surreal. I love I, it. Yeah, the, that's what I remember about Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> And the theme song, I could still sing it for you. I'm not going to. I'm still mad that you were that you were upset at me for a pup named Scooby Doo. Pup named Scooby Doo is oh god. Look, we could bitch and moan about the crappy TV we were raised on because we were raised on some really really crappy TV. There was, and, and it was even it was, it was Ernest, I think, is more of that war. Just just another one from that sort of nightmare world of garbage TV we were raised on. There's nothing to really set it apart in terms of quality. Yeah. Mm. But, uh, mm. but how do you really feel? <laughs> uh, we're going we're gonna to take a shift uh, mm. for the next week. So we had a couple of kids shows in a row. Yeah. It was fun. We're going to do more of those. We're going to do more comedies as well. Mm. Uh, but for our next episode, uh, which will come in a little sooner uh, yeah, uh, it, it'll it'll be back on schedule. For yeah, the, next the plan month, is yeah. the plan is this this will be later in the week, mm-hmm. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, at the latest. Uh, we are going to have we have the latest Patreon poll mm-hmm. uh, every month. Our Patreon subscribers get to vote for an episode, mm-hmm. and uh, this month all of the possibilities, all of the selections were shows that nearly won previous polls. Yeah. That was yeah. the theme. So uh, it, we had a Mistress of Suspense, which I really do want to get to. I'm really excited about it. It is a um, it's an anthology series where every episode is based on the works of Patricia Highsmith, yeah. the author who wrote Strangers on a Train and the talented Mr. Ripley and the book Carol was based on. Uh, so that's really cool. We're going to do that someday. That didn't win. Uh, Worst Week almost won. That's a sitcom starring a guy who looks a lot like you. <laughs> it's the only reason we put it on the poll, too, because the actor looks like me. Yeah, people people think it's really funny. We'll get to that eventually as well. But the winner was a 1990s Fox television series, a thriller about virtual reality. 
Uh, in the 90s. A computer thriller. Yeah. Remember when VR was, like, really scary? A girl builds, like, a woman builds a computer, Mm. and then she goes into virtual reality, and she discovers that she can affect actual reality, and she solves crimes, kind of. Kind of. It's not, she, like, goes into people's brains with virtual reality. You know, like you do. Like Like virtual reality does. Like, she accidentally, like drops her phone on the modem while she's using virtual reality and like can virtual reality herself into their brains and she like turned into a freakazoid uh, yeah more or less <laughs> and then she, she typed in a very specific set of letters on the internet and hit delete and turned into a freakazoid and so it yeah it's really weird and abstract and there's a lot of conspiracies and stuff and will Patton's in it and Penn Jillette <laughs> Penn Jillette's only in the pilot <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's do and, some and, and what's his face from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Anthony Stewart Head. Anthony Stewart Head. Now he'll he'll be making his uh, second appearance because we had him on um, Guilt. Oh, that's right. He was Remember in he one was... one episode of Guilt. No, he was in a couple episodes of Guilt. He played oh, the he... father of the protagonist. Oh yeah, I guess you're right. I yeah, thought, I thought it was in only the one, but yeah, he was okay. in a couple. All right, let's read some letters. Uh, yeah. Our letters. Uh, mm-hmm. You can email us cancel too soon at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you got for us, Winnie? Uh, here's a letter from Patrick. Uh, dear Sir Sexy Gut and Friend, <laughs> which of us is Sir Sexy Gut? Oh, that's me. Oh, okay. I'm a big, I got a big gut. Oh, you got a sexy gut. Uh, Sam Levine was absolutely right. Asian male leads are a rare occurrence. While Chin Ho and Sam Fujiyama were doing all the legwork, someone else was taking all the credit. I never really considered that John Cho was an Asian actor until Sam brought it up. I found myself looking beyond the race of actors and focusing on the performances. If you're looking for a television first try, try K-Pasa USA. It is the first bilingual TV series, huh. uh, and it was PBS's first sitcom. Oh, that's K-Pasa interesting. I'll USA. Check that out. Yeah, it lasted four seasons, so we can't do it on ah, our okay. show. And it, uh, it it was required to be broadcast in only 60% English and 40% Spanish. It may not be as funny now as it was when I was a kid, but it gave a veteran actor, Steve Bauer, a nice start. Thanks for all that you guys so, do. Well, Screw Firefly and keep <laughs> watching, Patrick. Uh, yeah, uh, that show aired from 1977 to 1980, so it was before my mm-hmm. time. Uh, okay, here's an email from, uh, from Doug. Mm-hmm. Hi, Doug. Uh, Doug has sent us 22 short quips about Bibbs and Whitney, Oh, Written dear. after binging all three of your podcasts. Uh-oh. Number one, the format you've picked for critically acclaimed is perfect, the new, the bad, the good. Thank you. Mm. That's oh, very nice of you. Okay. Uh, two, every time that plane falls on Diedrich Bader, it's funny. <laughs> and that's from uh, our episode about Danger Theater. Okay. It's a, a yeah, show yeah. I can't too soon. Uh, three, the original Battlestar is underrated. I think it's rated fine. I think a lot of people remember it very fondly. Um, I yeah, think, the, I, think yeah, the, I think the remake kind of dwarfed it a little bit in terms of its scope. It, it's it's perfectly well known. Not even a cult show. It's just hot show. Uh, four. Let Athena Stamos talk. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we, we talk over her too much. We had we had a couple episodes with her, and uh, uh, we reviewed James Bond movies, and I think the Batman movies. Yeah. And uh, okay, we we may have talked too much. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I apologize to Athena if she's listening. Uh, five I, I, old old CGI doesn't age well. Have you considered reviewing Space Above and Beyond? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes we, we have. have. Okay, uh, six. You finally did my favorite horror sci-fi director, David Cronenberg, who I like so much that I wrote a book about him. Yes, existentially at the top of any list of virtual reality films, but you forgot to mention the special. Uh, I don't know what that the, is. The, the special. The special. 
the like within existence. I guess. Or, or is that a Cronenberg film? I don't know. About. I don't know. Hmm. Weird. Okay. All right, seven. What do you think of the Mar- of the Netflix Marvel series? My favorite is Daredevil season two. Have you watched any of those? Uh, just some of the first season of Daredevil. Okay. Um, I, bit hit or miss. I mm. loved the first season of Daredevil. Uh, I think Jessica Jones's first season is one of my favorite seasons of television, just in general. I think it's really, oh, wow. okay. really spectacular. Uh, I think Luke Cage could have been that good, but the villain they had for the second half wasn't as exciting as the villain for the first half of that season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not particularly care for Daredevil season two, just because I felt like they kind of lost their way and the plot kind of scattered everything. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what do we got here? Iron Fist. Iron Fist sucked. <laughs> Iron Fist is a just bad. Um, and uh, the and Defenders was okay. It was what you wanted. You wanted mm. everyone to team up together. They they did good, and they did a good job of sort of fixing a lot of the things that didn't work about Iron Fist. And well, where do you I, have time for all these TV shows? I dude? don't know. Yeah. And then uh, I actually gave up halfway through The Punisher. Okay. Because John Bernthal was great, but the actual plot was this really kind of generic vigilante going after government conspiracy stuff and it just didn't feel like the Punisher anymore Mm. and I just lost interest and I actually haven't gone back I really want to see uh, Jessica Jones season two and Luke Cage season two. I just haven't had the time to sit is, down. And is Cloak and Dagger part of that, or is that that's a different? A different that, that's on Freeform, so it's a different. Oh, thing. okay. Um, so I think it's going to be on Freeform. Mm-hmm. Runaways is on Hulu. That's also a really good show, actually. Mm-hmm. I like that one a lot. Uh, and, but and, yeah, free, and, and we will definitely get to Inhumans at some oh, point. Yeah. Oh, we're going to get to Inhumans. In, I got an I'm, episode I'm, of the Inhumans, and I'm like, well, shit. I'm just going to wait for this to be canceled too soon because there's yeah. no goddamn way this is lasting. I, I'm I'm probably not going to watch those marvel shows but i'm gonna watch inhumans there you go because uh, i, I, I want to see the worst one and i think that might be it that's i don't want to see any of the ones that are good or very good or and any description of good of the new ones i think that's your that's the safest bet yeah uh let's see here's uh more more you made me rewatch some of the early roger moore bond films not as bad as i remembered especially live and let die those movies are fun yeah, most of them are pretty good. For your eyes only is one of my favorite James Bond movies. I think For Your Eyes Only is great. Spy mm-hmm. Love Me is some really good stuff in it. Um, just, it's just Ro- Moonraker and A View to a Kill that suck. And, and A View to a Kill a is people... entertainingly bad. Like I enjoy yeah. watching View to and, a Kill. And a, lo- a lot of people don't like Octopussy. I think it's fine. I think Octopussy is just the most disposable James Bond movie. Like nothing interesting happens in it. <laughs> uh, number nine, Suicide Squad is indeed stinky. Although Margot Robbie almost saves it. Yeah. She's fine. She's good. Not, not her fault. Uh, ten. Journeyman is good stuff, but has a metaphysical MacGuffin that makes no sense. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, I like Journeyman a lot. Uh, Eleven. The reason that Karen Gillan is perfect on selfie is that everything about her is fake, from her accent to her person. To quote John Lovitz, acting. And David Harewood is a hoot. All of those things are true. Mm. Uh, Twelve. I don't get it. Why did critics think that selfie was a bad title? Mm. It was too hip. It was, it was too, too. It was too, a buzzword. Yeah, too much trying to cash in on like it's like the emoji movie. Yeah, that's what it, uh, that's what it felt like yeah. at a glance. Like, oh, emojis! You're gonna turn emojis into a movie? Oh, you're gonna turn self because selfies at the time that was not like it, it people was, just sort of accept as, selfie as a word it, now. It wasn't trying yeah, to make was, selfie happen. It wasn't as naturally spoken, and you know, self short for self portrait, and people don't say self portrait anymore. They just say selfie. Imagine you're watching Mean Girls, and there's like a sequel to Mean Girls, and you saw that Amanda Seyfried tried to do a television, tried to executive produce a television series called Fetch. Yeah. Stop making fetch happen. Like, it's never, fetch is never going to yeah, happen. S- selfie didn't happen yet. So, yeah. 
a lot of critics said, no, it's too hip. All right, uh, 13. I agree with Whitney. Wonder Woman was good, but not great. The DC Universe films always end with muddy, largely meaningless CGI battles. Mm. Uh, where's Deadpool? I, I don't know. Where's Deadpool? In, in Wonder Woman? I, I guess he hadn't been born yet. Uh, Deadpool, he can show, you know what, Dead, Deadpool can do anything. He can bend reality. That's sort of his superpower. He can step out of his movie. Uh, going back to Danger Theater, how can The Searcher be so funny, yet Tropical Punch be such a dud? Different writing staff? Yeah. Not as inspired? Who's to say? Well, I mean, when you're dealing D- with... Diedrich Bader, probably, the po- the comic power of Diedrich Bader? I think you have with The Searcher. For those who don't remember, Danger Theater was a sort of a comedic anthology series mm. where every episode there'd be one or two different short mini comedic mm. shows, one of which is called The Searcher. The Searcher was, was in every episode, and then the, the B feature would switch off occasionally. Yeah, and there would be one or two episodes that was only The Searcher. But The Searcher was one of those shows like where it's just people riding across the country and every week to get in a new adventure and mm. it was Diedrich Bader and it was always a guy who thought he was a badass but actually he wasn't mm. and that I, was a, that's a pretty good joke you can always do something with that uh, and he died a lot uh, Tropic Punch was a Tro- Tropical Punch Tropical yeah. Punch was a cop show set in Hawaii and the gag was Adam West leads the team and Adam West is Adam West. He's goofy and doesn't know that he doesn't know what he's mm. doing. And that's kind of just too many layers. Is it a show that's funny because it's about Hawaii? Is it a show that's funny because Adam West sucks? <laughs> like, where's the joke? And the joke was kind of just not as clean as mm. the surger. So it's harder to do in a short yeah. amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's what's uh, go- okay. Uh, you said there were 22. There points, is a lot. Right? Okay. I'm working on it. Uh, Cops with Robot Partners was fun. Almost Human is fine sci fi. I agree. Yeah. That was a good month. It's quite a good show. Yeah. Uh, 16. There are huge plot holes in Star Wars The Last Jedi. <laughs> Don't screenwriters proofread their scripts? Example the surprise second in command suddenly appearing in a cocktail dress on the Rebel Cruiser. That's not really a plot hole. That's just an odd costuming choice, but it's mm. Star Wars. People wear odd stuff all the time. There are <laughs> plot holes. I will say this, in The Last Jedi, there are plot holes in every Star Wars movie. There's plot holes in every movie. Pretty much. Uh, it's, uh, unless you're Die Hard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's something in Die Hard. Somebody, yeah. As Why m- didn't they blank? I'm yeah. sure there's something. Uh, the, uh, the, the thing about plot holes is they're only a problem if you notice them or mm. if you care. If, only- if a movie is engaging enough and you're sort of wrapped up in the action or the story or the characters, you might notice a little bit of a plot hole, but if it's good enough, you're willing to forgive it. Yeah. If the film is not engaging you to the point where you start just nitpicking the plot, then it's not the plot's fault. It's the, the other things that didn't engage you. Yeah. A good example of this is in The Dark Knight, a movie which is riddled with plot. Hole. You don't get to be mad at The Last Jedi for having plot holes and not get to be mad at The Dark Knight. Mm. Uh, the Joker has taken an entire party hostage and he throws Maggie Gyllenhaal off a roof and Batman jumps off the roof to save Maggie Gyllenhaal. The Joker is still up there and all those people are still in danger and we never resolve that. No, he we just, just sort move of leaves on. the party. Yeah. And you know why we move on? Because our emotional core was with Batman mm. and with Maggie Gyllenhaal. That's it. Yeah. We moved on, and no one noticed that until they'd seen the movie a couple of times. And like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> and we don't care because the pacing is good, because the emotional center of it is good. Mm. I think that there's a real danger with 
you can critique something. You can notice problems with something. It doesn't necessarily hurt it. Yeah. It might be worth yeah. talking about. It might be fun to talk about. Well, and, but just and, because there's a plot hole in something doesn't mean like there's a uh, there's, there's huge plot holes throughout the entire Star Wars universe. Yeah, there's a trend in in criticism, and this is sort of like the everything wrong with videos. Yeah. Uh, it's this is the attitude that I think those everything wrong with videos are, are satirizing. But uh, and and I think maybe maybe it also uh, unfortunately also feeding. Um, that's my thing is I don't think the satire is too on the nose most of the time. Yeah. I think they're just kind of doing it a lot of the mm. time. And the sort of notion that if, if you can spot a plot hole, it makes the film worse. And, and some people like to sort of play that game. They go into movies, maybe not necessarily looking for plot holes, but hone their ability to spot them yeah. to the point where they can find fault with just about any movie. This is a thing I went through when I went to film school mm. where I started learning a lot more about how movies were constructed. I was I was pretty observant, and I read a bunch of books. But when you're mm. really just focusing on it, that's like your twenty four seven. That's your job is to think about movies and find out how they're made. Mm. For a bit, when you watch a movie, all you can think about is all that stuff. Yeah, and you lose your ability to lose yourself in the narrative because you're just so laser focused on oh that's that lens. That I know how that lens works, yeah. or oh they crossed the one eighty degree line. Oh, I, I'm so hyper aware of it now. And then after a while, that dies down. Yeah. If you're hyper aware, if you're looking for all of these things when you're watching something, you're not actually watching the movie. Those things should really you're, only you're, be... You're analyzing before you even watched it. Yeah, um, I always try to sit down and just watch the movie. And if the movie isn't good enough to keep my attention, then I'll notice those things. Mm. And that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's try to burn through the rest of these. Uh, let's see. The sound is much better on Critically Acclaimed than on the B-movies group chats. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, we we we've, well, well, we've we, made some improvements. Yeah, uh, eighteen. I agree with Whitney. Important films can be bad, and bad films can be important. Important. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that's for sure. Often. Mm. Uh, how long will it be before all American films are made by Disney? Uh, <sighs> Probably not long. Six years. Give okay. it six years. I'm gonna call it um, six years. The, the the bidding war over Fox properties is just like going up and up and up. Comcast and Disney are currently in a bidding war over Fox's entertainment properties. I believe the bid is up over like seventy billion dollars now. Um, maybe Rupert Murdoch will pass on before this happens. We'll see how it works, <laughs> and we won't get to see how it ends. All right, number uh, twenty. Cancel too soon is a sort of archaeology of TV knowledge. A search for long lost relics, like R two D two. You have on multiple occasions sent me out on video quests, though without using a hologram. Neat. All right. There's this thing I think a lot of people are sort of like unwilling to go on video quests. Like, oh, I heard about this thing. Oh, it's not on streaming. I give up. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're, if you, if they're not even willing to dig through the internet, which you, where you're just sort of sitting looking at a laptop for a while. Yeah. Like, and uh, you can order you can, things through the internet. You can yeah. have them delivered to your house a lot of the time. If you live in a big city, as we do, we live in LA, so we actually have, you know, vaster resources. But yeah, leave the house. If you still have a video store in your town, and there's five of them left, video stores <laughs> go to it see what they got yeah they might have something like that there for you i think uh, uh one of the things I, I that bother me about streaming is that i feel they have devalued movies to a lot of people where there's, people think that they're a not, lot of essays on, on this yeah, very people topic, think that yeah. they're not worth spending money on mm-hmm. that they're and, and they are <laughs> they should well, and, be. <laughs> and they're not worth looking for. They're yeah. not worth putting that effort into. If it's we, not right there on your front Netflix page, then I'm not going to go out of my way to find it. And I've, and I've run into things like this when I try to write articles about movie recommendations and occasionally mm-hmm. an editor would come to me and just say, but pe- where can you find this? 
Who gives a shit? People should know about it. Yeah. yeah. If they if they can't find it, then good. We're getting people talking about it. Then maybe the people who own the rights to it will know there's an audience. Yeah. There, it's there's a lot of factors at play. It's not just about convenience. Uh, number twenty one. Why do films with incoherent plots get made? Explanations: A. Sloth. B. Cocaine. C. <laughs> screenwriters have poor attention spans. Or D. They assume audiences are morons. Well, why can't it be all four? It's a lot of those. I mean, oftentimes, <laughs> oftentimes people are trying, and mm. movies are a collaborative medium, and there are people who are interested in one aspect of the production but don't actually care as much about mm. the art form well, you, you who say, get to contribute things. You say films with incoherent plots. I'm, I'm not sure what you're referring Let's, to. I'll, like, I'll throw out one. Yeah. Star Wars, the, uh, sorry, Transformers The Last Night. Uh, in a case like one of those big action blockbusters yeah. where the stories are really incoherent, that's because there are 500 screenwriters working on it. Yeah. Uh, the studios are calling the shots. They're making decisions. They're changing their minds partway through production most of the time. Mm-hmm. Scripts are completed, but they don't stick to the one script. They you know, are rewriting while they're shooting. That happens all the time. Yep. It happens on movies you love. It happens on movies that are really tightly written. But I, it happens all the time. I interviewed and, uh, Eric Heiser, who um, uh, wrote uh, the script for Arrival. Won a got Academy Award nomination for that, and mm-hmm. with good cause. It's a great script. He also wrote the screenplay for uh, the reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street, oh. and we talked a little bit about that. And one of the things he talked about was he wrote a script. And say what you will about that script, but when they were in production, they just moved scenes and dialogue around kind of randomly. Yeah. Like, oh, this dialogue's supposed to be at the end of the movie. Well, now it's at the beginning. Well, the characters aren't there yet. It doesn't really make any sense. These things just sort of happen sometimes. And you only have so much control over it. It's just just the chaos of filmmaking sometimes makes a chaotic film. Well, thank you. Was that the last one? That was the last one. Doug, thank you for writing. That was was Mm. rather epic. So, good job. Uh, We got anything else? Uh, Let's see if we can do one or two more. Here's one about Firefly. Okay. Hi, Bibbs and Winnie. First, Ross was right. They were on break. Even House agreed. <laughs> I don't understand that sentence. It's okay. In Friends, there was this whole thing where oh, okay. they got in a fight. Rachel and Ross were dating finally, and they got in a oh, fight. And Ross and Rachel said, "Okay, we're taking a break." And then, like immediately, oh, Ross an, slept, with slept with someone with somebody else. else. And the whole question was, mm. were they or were they not on a break? How culpable is? Ross. My if, argument. If they had broken up, it doesn't matter. He is within his rights. Now, there was a misunderstanding a about how broken up they were. That oh, was the issue. God. For me, the issue is this. I want to slap them both now. Taking a break implies that we might want to get together, and him sleeping with someone immediately. Mm-hmm does feel like an insult. feels it's, like, oh, you're just looking for an excuse to fuck around. I would be mad about that, too, even if we were on a break. It's insensitive, if you but if you're with, on a break, you're on a break. If you if you fight with someone you love, mm-hmm. and you break up, and then ten minutes later they're having sex with someone else, mm-hmm. and you come over the next morning and says, I'm sorry about the fight. Mm-hmm. Wow, that fast? Holy crap, <laughs> you must not have had that much invested in this. <laughs> My God, it never occurred to you we were going to get back together. What the fuck? Like, I, I would be mad. I just assume they have like really great game. <laughs> uh, so you'd respect them I, for cheating. I, I like respect, it. yeah. Good, good well, for you. Well played. I know you've been waiting. Go for it. Um, <laughs> oh my god. Uh, 
after you do Freaks and Geeks, which we have now done, uh, you should do Undeclared. It's a show that has yes. a, has future stars on it. It was also created by Judd Apatow, and it's not bad. I'm not sure uh, either if it was canceled too soon, but I would love to hear your opinion on it. I we, didn't watch Undeclared. It we, was also a one season. One it's on the list. Know? We know all about um, it. Yeah, thank you. We, we, we've had some requests mm-hmm. for it, and um, we're going to go back to some obscurities now that we did like yeah. a whole month of like the big famous ones. But uh, yeah, we know a lot of the big ones, and we will get to them mm-hmm. uh, uh, over time. We want to yeah. spread them out a bit. Uh, and a question. If in one month I give you $250, which is an equivalent of uh, 251 euro patrons, <laughs> do we get Firefly? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even a fan of Firefly, but, uh, you know, just how much you said you don't want to do it. Um <laughs> So it's that's, that's the that's the letter of the law, but so, not yeah. the spirit. Um, we're, we're we're hoping for more people <laughs> listening to the show, not necessarily more cash. I so mean, if you were to give as much as one like two hundred and fifty patrons, would we do Firefly? If you were to give us two hundred and fifty dollars a month, we'd figure out some way to compensate. Well, you they, for they that. said only for one month. Though. Oh, for one month, no. No. I'm going to say no. That would be a very generous donation. That would be great. Happily, happily welcome it. We'd even do something special for you, I think, yeah. if you're willing to do, totally do go that. the extra mile. Yeah. But uh, yeah. no, we wouldn't do Firefly. Because we have people who donate sort of random amounts of money. Like, you mm-hmm. know, some, I think we had someone who donated like $17 a month for a bit. And I'm like, oh, well, oh cool. Thank, thank you. Thank we, you for that. Yeah. That was really, really wonderful. We just don't have a tier for that. Mm-hmm. But like, if you if anyone wanted to donate like above and beyond, we would talk to them and we'd figure out some way to sort mm-hmm. of give them some bang for their buck. Yeah. And, and she also <laughs> says, uh, I'm so sad that the randomizer did not win i hope you do a one episode like that every few months you know we're thinking about that actually mm-hmm. it seems like a fun thing we can do once in a while yeah um so the randomizer isn't really dead it only mm-hmm. sleeps uh what do we got uh con- this one is comes from uh patrick another patrick okay uh congratulations on your anniversary now down to business cop rock <laughs> cop wrong Lately, you guys have been punching punching my brain and extracting the shit I put aside 30 years ago. Before Cop Rock started, they ran so many promos, I was beginning to think it was a Juicy Fruit commercial. I think I caught a piece of an episode before I decided I'd rather be sleeping. Rumor I got was ABC turned down Married with Children, which gave Al Bundy leeway to berate the show that lasted 11 episodes instead of 11 seasons. Now for the bad news. In a recent tweet, one of you... Okay, Bibbs. Okay. Uh, mentioned a TV show about a talking plant named Lucy that assisted a comedy writer. That was me. That was actually, actually with me. Yeah. Stop doing that. I remember it. <laughs> and by God, I, I'll never remember the name of it. If it helps, I do remember that it was a syndicated show because I'm sure I saw it on some odd weekend afternoon. Lastly, I did see uh, the rock and roll version of Metropolis. I didn't oh. think much of it at the time. Uh, you mentioned this on an episode. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it was uh, the Giorgio Moroder edit, yeah, which yeah, a lot yeah. of like cool like new wave music yeah. with like Pat Benatar and Queen. Yeah, but now I'm looking for a copy every time I go to a thrift store. Thanks for everything and keep up the good work. Speaking of Botchco, I'm watching Hill Street Blues and NYPD Blue now. Pray for me. Um, <laughs> as for the the show, uh, Lucy the the talking plant yeah uh was from amazing stories yeah we were able to figure it out it's from an episode called the 21 inch sun which was directed by nick castle who also directed the last starfighter and dennis the menace and he was the original guy Mm. in the michael myers costume in halloween and they've actually brought him back to play michael myers in the new one oh nick castle's michael myers again yeah it's not fun it's kind of fun there's a stunt guy doing like the big heavy lifting but like throwback there but yeah the major acting Mm. sequences that's gonna be nick castle Castle. i think that's really cool Uh, 
also co-wrote co-wrote uh, Escape from New York with John Carpenter. Yeah, Nick Castle's really really yeah, cool. He's, so he's uh, been around. So uh, yeah, that was an episode about uh, like a plant that does the writing it, it for a writer a, with writer's block. A sitcom writer has writer's block. He learns that his house plant can also write. It's an intelligent house plant, and it crumples up his papers and starts writing comedy scripts. Here we go. It's season two, episode 15. And that show is available on DVD, and I think you can also stream it. Uh, so <laughs> you can watch that. Amazing Stories isn't streaming? Uh, it's it, it's on, like, Amazon. It's on Amazon, but you have to, like, pay for it. Oh, okay. You know? But, uh, yeah, you can you can see that. All right. <laughs> so you should check that out. So <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. If we, if it's, very, it's pretty hard to, like... Mm-hmm. figure out like oh what's that movie with the blank and then like put it on twitter and have no one know what the hell you're talking yeah, about yeah yeah like, especially if you're if you have tagged some people mm-hmm. on film twitter we're pretty good like yeah. i miss that being working at a video store and mm-hmm. someone coming in it's like hey what's that movie with the giant spider and the hourglass and we go oh crawl yeah. and then that would that's like the only thing they remembered about crawl I miss that, and well, the internet kind of ruined that a little bit, but I like it when you can make that part of a conversation and share mm-hmm. it with people. What's that damn show with the spider plant? The, the problem is you can throw that out online to, like, all 500 of your friends on Facebook, and none of them will have a clue. If we happen. still had video stores, <laughs> just ask the dick behind the counter. He knows. My, my point is this. You can ask the dick. Mm. The dicks behind the counter are still here. We're just film critics. So just tag me. Tag Whitney. Yeah. Tag Alonzo Duralde if you think it's up his alley. Mm. Just find a critic I was, who's, who's, who's on Twitter, who communicates well, with their fans. And well, this, just, was a, this was a little while ago, but somebody put that out to me recently. It's like, I remember this horror movie, and there's these guys at a rave, and they died in a car crash. What movie is that? And I was very proud of myself. That was the movie called Soul Survivors, S-O-U-L, Soul mm-hmm. Survivors. Terrible movie. Not to be confused but I've with seen my soul it, to take, which I thought Which is also which a terrible is what movie. I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wes Craven's last feature film and maybe his worst. Mm-hmm. That was My Soul to Take. Was his my Soul to Take, take yeah, which yeah, is yeah. Yeah. Um But I'm, I was proud of myself that I remembered that crappy horror movie from the early 2000s. Yeah, it's a point yeah. of pride. <laughs> so everybody, you can email us, cancel too soon at gmail.com. Remember, canceled always has one L. Mm. You can also go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash cancel too soon. Uh, there you will find uh, exclusive bonus episodes. Uh, we've got the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie for a $5 donation every month. Uh, you also get to uh, what vote are we, for what are, we doing? what are we doing this month? Uh, we're doing Jean-Luc Godard's Les Histoires du Cinema, <laughs> uh, which is a long history of the motion picture art form from Jean-Luc Godard, the director mm-hmm. of Breathless. And uh, that is also, uh, that was the second place, the runner-up uh, in our annual Cancel Too Soon Awards drawing. So that is another one that is by request. We also have another episode coming up of Only the Best, in which Whitney and I review every single nominee for Best Picture mm. in order, one episode per year's worth of nominees. Um, and uh, yeah, we're we, it's a second. Academy Awards is what we're coming up on, and they finally have sound. <laughs> and it's actually odd, mm. actually, to look at like the earliest sound films and what they thought sound films could and should be. So uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation to have. F- figuring out the tech, I suppose. So that's available for $10 and up patrons. $10 and up patrons also get to assign me and Whitney Seibold uh, 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 articles to write articles, yeah. uh, on criticallyclaimed.net, our, mm-hmm. our new website in which uh, we have links to all of our uh, work from throughout the internet and also original content, some of which is curated by you. By you, the people. And uh, uh, 
it's been interesting seeing the assignments flood in and what you guys want to have happen. We're doing our best uh, to keep a good pace with that. But uh, some of them require mm-hmm. a little bit more research than others. So yeah. we're doing our best to follow them as stay, much. In, st- stay on top of them as best we can. And as much in the order in which they were received as mm-hmm. possible. So uh, thank you, everybody who subscribes. Everyone who subscribes in particular is, you know, obviously you're a real fan of the show. Mm-hmm. And you like you like the concept. You like what we're doing. That means the world to us. And we're really glad mm-hmm. we can help you out. But everyone else who's listening, if you can't afford to, to contribute on Patreon for any reason, thank you very much for listening as well. Tell a friend. <laughs> Tell someone. If someone says, hey, I'm looking for a good podcast, let them know. Yeah, Review yeah. us on iTunes if you haven't already. That'd yeah, be give, really give sweet. Us, give us a high rating on iTunes. That 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 helps us more than you think. And uh, and follow us on Twitter. We're at CancelledCast. Uh, you can also see us uh, lately at the movie trivia Schmodown. That's right. We recently competed against Matt Atchity from What the Flick and Gray Drake from Rotten Tomatoes uh, in a game of trivia knowledge in a movie-related fashion. And there's a link to that on criticallyclaimed.net. You're kind of fading out on energy. It is 2.37 in the morning, and I'm tired. Okay. So uh, (laughs) we're going to be back uh, next week with... uh, Later this week. Later, I guess, yeah, later this week. Not in one week's time. Uh, We're going to get back on track with VR5. Yes. So uh, everybody check that out. We also have the other podcast, Critically Acclaimed, on the Shmoes No Network, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And uh, that's a wrap, folks. We will see you next season. Thank you.